All right. Yeah, hey, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I need a little box to stand on because I feel like I'm a little kid behind this thing. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I introduced Ted, uh, or Tim to Ted, and, and uh, I'm, I'm starting to see kind of uh, something that's happening. It's like all my friends, I, I introduce them to Tim, and then they become like his best friends. And... I mean, here a few weeks ago, you had Bob Davis out here. He was like, he's like one of my best friends in the whole wide world. So was Tim. And, and then Bob and Tim were together, and I wasn't here. And I'm like, hey, you guys were like my best friends before you were friends. And so, no, the, uh, no it's a joy. It actually is. It really is. It, it stokes my heart when uh, I see what God is doing through my brother. I mean, he is truly... Tim is truly my brother. I have a kinship with that guy, and my wife and his wife, Sonia, uh, they are best of friends, and they, we miss them tremendously. And so uh, I'm happy that they're up here. I'm sad that they're not with us anymore. And uh, we just absolutely are, you guys are blessed to have them. You really are. And uh, I'm just blessed to be able to be here today. And I was going to bring my wife up here with us, and, and uh, we're in the middle of selling a house and, and uh, moving into a new house, and so it was just a, a little crazy. Uh, so uh, my wife said, well, why don't we, I would feel like I would almost be in sin if I took off this week. So uh, can we maybe schedule this for later on this, this uh, summer, and we'll all get together. We are, uh, my wife's parents, her, her, my mother-in-law and, and uh, step-father-in-law, uh, live with us right now, and uh, my wife, Lynette, her mom is, uh, she's got dementia, and so we've kind of brought them into the house, and we're building a house that's going to be able to help her and uh, uh, give her some, you know, some freedom in the home, and yet keep her safe and, and what have you, and, but it's, I'm learning that it's getting a little interesting. Uh, we are showing our house yesterday, and so uh, we kind of ran around, as any of you guys who have ever sold a house, you know that anything on the counters, you don't want anything on the counters. You want everything to be clean. Well, my Bible was on the counter, and uh, my mother-in-law with dementia, I think, picked it up. And uh, when I was ready to race out of the house to get on the plane, to get to the plane yesterday, uh, I'm going, hey, has anybody seen my Bible? And uh, she was sitting in the, on the couch, kind of like the, you know, the cat that ate the canary. I've never seen it. And I, I oh, Mom, do you know where my Bible is? I don't know what your Bible is. I don't know. And I'm thinking, she hid it. So I'm going to find it in probably 2018 sometime. <laughs> so uh, so I'm, using, I'm using one of your guys' Bibles here right now. Uh, I, did bring my, I did bring my iPad, so that's a good thing. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious, some of the things, you know. And hey, listen, I, I don't mean to make any light of, of the disease. I hate that disease. I really do. And it breaks my heart of any, I know that probably some of you in a room this size, with as many people are in here, I know that there are some of you guys that are dealing with that. And man, I can commiserate with you, I know. And you know that there are just, you have to 
take it day by day, and you have to have some sense of humor in the midst of it, else you're going to go crazy. You're just going to go crazy. So we actually do have a good time, and uh, we have fun, and not at her expense, but I definitely have her enjoying life while she's with us, and so we, we have a good time with that. Uh, on my way up here yesterday, yeah, we, uh, I got on a plane southwest, and, and as I was uh, settling in, I got on, and, and that whole back half of the plane was still, I, I just got there in the, the first section, had just, had just boarded, and, and the second section was about to board, and, and I got up there to the gate and said, hey, am I supposed to go in yet, and showed them my phone, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you can get on there, so I got on, and I went back to back, halfway back the plane, there, the whole back end of the plane was empty, and I went and sat down at the window seat, I like the window seat, uh, and I'm sitting there, and, and all the rest of the people are getting on, and, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I'm, I'm kind of a big guy, and, and I'm sitting there next to the window. That was the secret, by the way. Um, it's not really a secret, is it? <laughs> and so I'm sitting by the window, and I'm, you know, hey, listen, I get my money worth, money's worth out of, a, out of a seat on an airplane. I take up the whole place, you know. I mean, I'm there. I'm taking up my seat, and, and, and down the road, is, the aisle is coming. I'm thinking, oh, there's 60, 70 seats behind me. Here comes Mr. and Mrs. I like burritos as much as you do coming down the aisle, and I'm thinking, out of everybody that's on this plane, this is not the row for you, and yet they sat next to me, and so we were like marshmallows <laughs> in, that, in that thing, and, and there is just something about trading sweat on an arm with somebody that you don't know. And they're from Canada. I did get to know them. They're from Canada. And so got a little Canadian on me here today. No, I did shower. Hey, today we are going to talk about blood. Blood. Not necessarily something that you, you think, wow, this is a fun thing to talk about because blood is not really a, an enjoyable subject. Unless you don't have any, then you really kind of want that blood. But blood, they, they asked me in the back, you know, what's the title of the message? I'm thinking, blood, blood. Now listen, if you have a queasy stomach, we'll let you leave right now. If blood is not something you want to talk about, you need to stay here anyways. You just need to understand what we're going to talk about because this is very, very, very important for us as Christians. I think it's something that we've, we've lost sight of. Blood. Blood. The Bible talks about what the blood is. The Bible says, and here you can turn in your Bible into two different places for me. Leviticus chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, do you do that here? Raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. If you don't have a Bible, okay. You can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 17 and also to Hebrews chapter 9. So you can go to Hebrews chapter 9, stick a bulletin there or something there, and then go back to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. I'm going to try to read it out of 
couple here. Let me do one thing here. Now I'm all set. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 17. We will look at verse... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start off in verse 10, just to get a little bit of context of what is being said here. The word tells us, if anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face, this is God speaking, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. For the, listen, and this is very important, and this is the essence of our message today. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. You hear that? For the life of the flesh is is in the blood, and I have given it to you or for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Any one also uh, of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes a, in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. Listen, for the life of every creature is, in, is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And, and so, and then it goes on and it talks a little bit about more, you know, structure there. But here's the thing. We are hearing here what the blood is all about. If you were to turn over to, uh, to Genesis chapter 2, you don't, you can turn over there if you want real quick. But in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God formed man of the earth. Out of the dust of the earth. And it says here in uh, verse 7 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. You see that? Then the Lord God, verse 7, formed man. Uh, formed the man I, I'm having a hard time reading because I don't usually read out of this version. I, I, so I have kind of memorized in my head of what other versions say. So here's, I'm messing up a little bit. Please excuse me. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being or a living creature. So here God plays a little claymation, right, with man. He, he digs down into the ground, he takes from the ground, he forms and he fashions an individual. We know that to be Adam, right? So he fashions this human being, and, and there he is, lifeless. He's lifeless. 
until something happens, God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This breath of life, what did God breathe into man? Well, somewhere along that process, somewhere in that uh, act that God had done with man, by breathing into the nostrils of this claymation individual, what the breath of the Lord did is it ignited or installed or put into the life of the individual, which is breath, yes, but blood began to course through the veins of this individual that God created out of the dust of the earth. Because we understand, according to Leviticus chapter 17, that the life of the flesh is what? In the blood, right? It's in the blood. How many of you would agree that if you take all the blood out of a human being, that human being will cease to live? Yeah, I, I thank you for the three people who raised your hand. <laughs> Here's the thing. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood is something that, for some of us, for some of you, kind of messes with you a little bit, doesn't it? Especially your own blood. I remember back when I was a little boy, um, I had two older brothers and an older sister, and, and us boys, we all lived in one room. We all had a one bedroom, and all three of us boys lived in this one little small bedroom. So we actually had bunk beds, and I lived on the top bunk bed. And so as I was up there one night playing around, it was one of those old-style bunk beds, had the metal railing on the bottom and what have you, and I'm up there jumping around on the top bunk. As a little boy, I fell off and landed on my head, on the back of my head. Yes, that's what's wrong with me. Um, I landed on the back of my head and split my head open on that metal rail, and I began to bleed profusely. And my dad, I found out that day, doesn't do well with blood. He hears me crying, he hears the big boom, he hears my crying, and he runs in, and as he's coming towards me, his legs start getting a little weak. And he's like, Nance, and he calls my wife, or my mom, his wife. And, and so here, I, you know, he calls my mom, you know, come in and rescue him because I am about to pass out and throw up because I can't handle blood. My dad does not like blood. It's not something that, that is, you know, on his high, you know, uh, list of things that he likes to look at because it makes him woozy. It makes him a little dizzy. Some of you might identify with that. There might be some of you that doesn't bother you all that much, but, but blood still bothers us when we see blood. Let me talk about blood here for just a second. You know, here's a couple things about blood that we can talk about. You know, about 7% of our body weight in an average adult is made up of blood. The adult uh, body has about 60,000 miles of blood vessels running through the body. Yeah. If, to kind of flesh that thing out and kind of look at it and see what that means, the circumference of the earth, to, to start in one spot, go all the way around the globe and come back to that same spot, would take you 25,000 miles. So it's like two and a half times around the earth is how many blood vessels that you have stretched end to end in one human body. 
Kind of crazy, isn't it? I want someone to prove that to me one day, but that's just what they say. I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't believe it. It's hard for me to believe, but that's what they say, which tells us how intricate and how well-designed we are as an individual, as a human being. An average adult male has about 6.6 liters of blood in them, whereas the average adult female, well, she only has 4.5. Newborn baby has just about a cup of blood when they're born. Isn't that crazy? A cup of blood. Uh, though we can survive by using artificial organs, such as an artificial heart, maybe an artificial lung, whatever. However, there's no substitute for human blood. There's no such thing as artificial blood. They've used different things to keep someone alive, but to sustain life. There is no other product on earth that can keep us alive. There's no such thing as artificial blood. Uh, supposedly, mosquitoes, for those of you who want to know, mosquitoes, uh, they have a special palate for type O blood. How many of you guys have type O? How many of you guys would identify that? Yeah? Um, I looked at that and I thought, I'm going to look at my blood donor card and find out what kind of blood I have and I found out I had type A minus or A, A negative. And, and I thought, wow, we've got some really stupid mosquitoes because they absolutely love me. You know? and, and, and I'm thinking, wow. Uh, you know, talking about mosquitoes, do you know that it'll take about 1.2 million mosquitoes, they say, to actually drain the uh, blood out of an adult male? To completely and totally rid you of blood. Don't come to Florida and sleep out in the, under, under the stars because you'll get eaten by mosquitoes. Blood's comprised of three main components, red blood cells, platelets, and white blood cells. In one drop of blood, there's about a half of a billion red blood cells. And for every 600 uh, uh, red blood cells, there are about 40 platelets and there's only one white blood cell. We got red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. You know, why are we talking about this? You'll see here in a second. We might think, I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense to you or, or surprise you any. 600 blood cells, or red blood cells, you know, 40 platelets, one white blood cell. So there's a big disparity between the white and the red, right? Uh, in we might think of pus. This is not something that you want to talk about right before lunch or anything like that, but it is a bit disgusting. However, pus is typically white, right? It, it's white. It's white blood cells that have died while defending your body from your infections. When you open up a, a wound on your, on your body, the white blood cells rush to that area. In fact, there's like these special forces type of white blood cells that we have in our body called granulocytes that covertly hunt out and, and seek out and destroy any bacteria or anything that is going to cause harm to your body. God designed a, a, a white blood cell to be the delta force of your blood. Okay, And they rush through your veins 
And it takes about 23 minutes, they say, or 23 seconds, I'm sorry, for blood to pass through your whole entire circulatory system in your body. And so as that white blood cell rushes around trying to find anything wrong in your body, when it finds something, it basically blows a horn, a little white horn, and all of the other little white blood cells that are in there, they rush over to and begin to defend, and they begin to repair. They begin to repair, and they begin to, to, to go in there and attack and discard the bad and try to replace the new, and, and they, they heal you up. So if you happen to have a, an open cut on you with a scab on you, you can look down there and know that those guys gave their life for you because they die. Those little white blood cells, they die. Here's something pretty disturbing right now as you're sitting. Every second, an average adult male has 2 million blood cells that die. You never knew why you were so tired, do you? But take heart, every second, a new two million are replenished, are created. And so this is God's design. Blood is very important. You know, the, the crazy dictator, it, this has nothing to do with our study other than I just thought it was kind of interesting. Saddam Hussein, Hussein, you remember him? He actually was so crazy and, and was so caught up in being you know, this dictator that he was, that he had experts take blood from his body and use it as an ink to write and, and, and scribe a whole Quran out of his blood. Did you know this? Scribe a whole Quran out of his blood. The problem is, here's the thing, it's still around. That, that Quran is still around. They don't know what to do with it because it's, it's against the law. It's against, you know, their rules. It's against the Quran to use blood to do that, to use it for any other manner than for what it is for the body. And here Saddam Hussein did that. And so they go, well, it was totally illegal. You're not supposed to do that according to the Quran. And yet, it's also illegal for them to ever destroy a Quran. So they don't know what to do. They got this Quran that has, it's written out of blood, and they go, well, it's illegal to do that. Well, let's destroy it. Well, we can't destroy it. So here they got this Quran they don't know what to do with. Blood. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So. In Sarasota, we would leave all over that, okay? I'm just joking. Here's the thing. Blood is very important. Very important. Very important to us. This blood, as it goes through our body, and it courses through right now, every 23 seconds, going in, it, it goes in and, it, and it, 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 it searches out, it seeks out, it, it finds any damage, it regenerates the tissue, and it carries the waste of the, the, the problems that you have in your body. It carries that waste and discards it into a landfill or a dump. What do, you, what do you guys call those here? What do you call it? A what? A convenience center? Do you really call it a convenience center? That's so nice. What? what 
That's such a nice name for a dump. <laughs> Convenience Center. You guys are so nice in Tennessee. <laughs> you know what we call them in, in, in where I come from? Everything in Florida is flat. Everything in, well, where I come from, South Florida, is flat. And we, we call dumps or landfills or convenience center in, in, in Florida, we call them mountains. <laughs> because that's what they take all the dump and they, they, you know, pile up all the dirt and they just keep covering all the trash and everything. So, uh, listen, if you ever have a friend that says, hey, you know, down in South Florida, and they say, hey, let's go mountain climbing. Know that that's code word for wanting to go dumpster diving for the weekend or something. I don't know. But here's the thing. That blood, it takes and, and, and discards. Well, here's the cool thing about all of that. Something happens when a man or a woman, a child, someone, when a human being recognizes who Jesus Christ is. There's only one way for a human to truly have redemption. Let's go back to the days of Adam. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the days of Adam when he was created. God said, of every tree in the garden you shall freely eat. You, you remember that, right? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of that tree you shall surely die. What kind of fruit was on that tree? Don't say apple. We don't know what kind of fruit. I stopped you because I didn't want anybody to say apple. We don't know what kind of apple. What, we don't know what kind of tree it was. What kind of fruit was on that tree. What we do know and what we can truly surmise is that whatever tree or whatever fruit was on that tree, there was a special type of a fruit that was on that tree that basically had, it created a blood poisoning in that individual. When Eve ate of that tree and then gave to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and they ate of that fruit, something happened to the blood. It was true spiritual blood poisoning. Death began at that moment. You go, well, how? Well, I don't know. Think about any kind of a plant that if you were to eat it, it would kill you. I remember growing up in California, we used to have plenches everywhere. There were oleander trees all over the place. You got, got oleander trees here? You know, oleanders? I don't know. But the kind of long, you know, leaf kind of material and... And they say, hey, if you don't eat the oleanders, and I'm thinking, I don't know that I ever go out and eat shrubs anyways, but thanks, that's good to know. Don't eat the oleanders, because the oleanders, the oil and the leaves, it'll kill you. It's poisonous. So there are various plants that if you eat them, they might cause immediate death. There's other plants that will go in there and destroy your kidney. They'll just destroy your kidney. There's other plants that will, be, that will go in there. Some will have fast reactions. Some will have slow reactions. Some will have lifelong uh, uh, implications of ingesting that plant. I, I, I believe that in the garden, there was a fruit of a tree, not knowing what that tree is. Probably don't even have that tree 
anywhere upon the face of the earth anymore. But the fruit that was in that caused a lifelong blood disease in the heart, in the life of those who ate of it, beginning with Adam. And so every human being that was born after Adam inherited this blood poisoning. Okay, Pastor Don, this is getting a little weird for me because I think you're kind of adding some, some, you know, filling in some gaps that maybe the Bible doesn't say are there. No, listen, be, stay with me here for a second because here's the thing. It is important that the virgin, that's what the importance of the virgin birth is all about. Because the mother, blood doesn't pass through the mother to the child. I don't know, this might surprise some of you. Some of you guys already know this, but some of you may not know this. Do you know that when, uh, you know, is there anybody here expecting a, a child right now? Anyone? I, okay, that's, if you are, praise the Lord. Here's the thing. Do you know that when a woman gets pregnant, the cells that are created through the man seed and the woman egg, they create a cell. They begin to move, you know, down the fallopian tubes and what have you, and they create a blastocyst, all right? And this blastocyst just continues to grow and grow and grow. There's one cell in there that is protected, and the other cells go around, and they begin to protect, and, and eventually what ends up beginning to grow is a placenta. And that placenta, as it grows and then the baby begins to grow, what ends up happening as it is, is firmly implanted into the, the uterus and, and, and into the woman's womb, it's, it grows. And as it grows, this placenta acts as a go-between between the mother and the, and the baby. Some of you guys know this. I, being a pastor, it was something that kind of shocked me a while back when I realized this. I figured, my goodness, this is important. I don't know that I've ever really heard it from a pulpit. Here's the thing. The mother and the baby do not share blood. Never does the mother's blood pass through the baby. And to me, I'm thinking, that's fascinating. Well, no reason, no, no wonder that God used a, a, a virgin woman, that, that he used a, 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 a woman to bring in the seed through the Holy Spirit, planting a seed and fertilizing the egg from the Lord. Because as just like with a, with a, a chicken, I just had a friend of mine, an assistant pastor, very good friends of, of the Romeros and ours, uh, the Sullivans. Kevin Sullivan was, is my assistant pastor down in Sarasota, and he just came back from a, a, a missionary training center called the Heart Center. What's, what's it called? Heart Institute. Heart Institute down there in like Orlando area. And what they do is that they take kids in there and, and anybody actually in there to kind of teach them how to be missionaries and teach them how to live off the land and how to, you know, to grow, you know, food and, and, and how to, you know, raise, you know, animals and how you can utilize the animals and what have you. And, and uh, Kevin was talking about how they ended up uh, taking out a, a, a rooster 
that was just a problem because it was hurting a lot of things, and they ended up taking out a rooster. And, and they, they killed the rooster. And Kevin said, well, you know, so what happens? I mean, you're not going to have any more eggs. And the guy goes, oh, no, no, no. The, the hens don't have any problems creating eggs. It's the chicks that are brought forth from the rooster. For when the rooster, you know, fertilizes the egg, then a chick is, you know, then, then a chick comes out. But, but, but the egg is just yolk and, and white. You can incubate that thing as long as you want, but unless a rooster gets involved, that thing's going to always just be yolk and white, you know, and, and that's it. And so, you know, Kevin, you, oh, you know what, how silly, I'm a, you know, city boy kind of a guy, you know. But unless that egg is fertilized, it will just remain an egg. Same thing with a human. Unless the woman's egg is fertilized through a man, it will just remain an egg. And the thing is, is that when God placed in an imperfect, sinful woman, I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but Mary was a sinner. She was a sinner. She needed a Savior just like you and I. When God placed in her and fertilized the egg inside of Mary, that egg created its own, or that, or that seed came in, and the fertilization of that created its own placenta. And what happened is that placenta is what actually feeds and, remove, and, and nourishes and removes the discarded cells or the discarded uh, uh, wasted blood cells that have been expelled or used up. What ends up happening is that the blood of the mother passes through the placenta and the blood of the baby passes also through the placenta, but never touching, never coming in and, and entering into each other, but passing close by. And what ends up happening is that the, the blood of the mother, it passes the nutrients into the, into the veins, just the nutrients, but no blood ever is transferred between the two. The nutrients of the mother's good blood goes into the baby through the placenta, and the bad blood that came out of the baby passes into the mother, and what ends up happening is that the mother's blood then goes and expels the bad cells. And that's how a baby continues to be nourished and grows. But the blood never passes. I don't know if this is starting to, to, to make a little bit of sense to some of us, but here's the thing. If you think about it and you consider Jesus didn't have any babies. He didn't have, a, he didn't have a wife. He never had kids. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes into a, to a mother, Mary, and a baby is born. And that blood we understand according to Acts chapter uh, 2, that blood is incorruptible. I, and, and to take a long stretch and a big jump there, you can look at the blood of Jesus and, and look at it and say, if you had blood from you or I and we got it and put it out here on a counter, it's going to stink after a while. The blood of Jesus is incorruptible. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't stink. It doesn't deteriorate. The blood of Jesus Christ is pure. It's holy. It's a reason why a virgin was 
included in the story, in the plan of redemption for mankind. Because the whole plan of redemption rests entirely upon the purity and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood is pure. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it passed this disease onto you and I that will ultimately take our life. The only way for us to be saved, the only way for you to be saved, the only way for any human being to be saved is to have a blood transfusion. And it has to come through Jesus Christ. Now there's a spiritual transfusion that happens. I had you turn to, to Hebrews chapter 9. Why don't you turn over there real, with me real quick and we'll hurry up with this. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 says this. It's talking about in the first eight verses, it's talking about how, you know, the, the priest prepares himself to go into the holy place and then into the holy, holy of holies there in the temple, okay? So he's talking about, you know, the, uh, the, the rituals of a, of a priest going into the temple and into the holy place and the holy of holies in order to do what it was that he was instructed to do, okay? And so it talks about that. And then in verse uh, 6, I'm sorry, it says... These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, that's the holy place, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he, but only once a year. And that second place, that, that, uh, that high priest where he goes into, the second place is called the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's what was separating the holy place from the holy of holies. It was that curtain. As some estimate up to six to eight inches thick of, of skins and furs holding that curtain and blocking the holy of holies from the holy place. The Ark of the Covenant being behind it. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible tells us that that curtain, that thick curtain was rent, was ripped from the top to the bottom. That curtain was taken by God and ripped open, thus giving you and I access into a place that a high priest could only go once a year. That's the importance of that. But it goes on and it says, listen, the high priest, but into the second only the high priest goes, but he only once a year. And not without taking what? Blood. Not without taking blood. Which he offers for himself and for the un unintentional sins of the people. And by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. Which is symbolic for the present age. Understand that the temple was symbolic to teach you and I that there was a better temple coming. The mercy seat was a picture of gold where the blood once a year was placed upon that 
mercy seat once a year for the atonement of people, for the atonement of sins of, of mankind. Once a year, Jesus became the mercy seat. You remember there's a great picture, there's a great type that we see in the, in the Gospels. That when Jesus Christ, he was killed, buried into the tomb, and when they ran into the tomb and they saw, what they saw was a, a uh, you know, where Jesus laid, there was an angel at the feet and there was an angel at where his head was or had been laying. It's a picture of the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. For the, the top of, the, of the, the Ark of the Covenant had the seat there and one angel on one side and another angel on the other side looking down upon the mercy seat. Jesus was the mercy seat. The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, was simply a picture, a, a, a type, something that it was a picture as an example of what was not lasting and that was going to pass away one day only when the perfect came and the perfect was Jesus. That's what it's being spoken of here. It's symbolic for the present because while it was still standing, while the temple was still standing, when the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was still standing, when all of that was still standing, it was simply symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, it says in verse 8, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But they deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until, until the time of reformation, until it's reformed. Something is going to be reformed, and it's going to be Jesus Christ. He goes on. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of, his, not of this creation, it was Jesus Christ, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, well then how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he not purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For there, where there's a will, I know I'm reading a lot here, but it, this is packed with important information for us to know as human beings. Whether we're a Christian or whether we're not a Christian in this room right now, we need to understand what this is saying. For where, there, it, where a will is involved, the death of the one, and that's actually talking about a will. Have you made a new will? And have you made a will and testament? You know, for upon your death. That's what it's talking about. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who's ma who made it is alive. 
Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Not even the law of Moses was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Blood everywhere. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, listen, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the, the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into the heavens, it's into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor it was to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly. Jesus doesn't have to re repeatedly die, is what he's saying, since the foundation of the world, but as it is, Jesus Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as it is appointed unto man once to die, then after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Here's the thing. What did we just learn? What we learned is that when Jesus Christ, he bled on the cross, he bled pure blood. He bled pure blood. Now, why God used blood to be the instrument that must be shed in order to forgive sins is, is, is his deal. That's what he came up with. He created blood in man when he created man. That blood became tainted. God needed to replace it with a holy blood that can only come through holiness and the holiness can only come from God. As he interjected the seed into a woman, her blood never became, his, the, the blood of Jesus when he was in the womb of Mary never became compromised with the blood of sinful Mary. Hence, when she gave birth, she gave birth to the Son of God. She gave birth to someone who we had not seen since the days of Adam who had a pure blood in them. Hence Jesus, when he lived and he died on a cross and his blood was shed for you and I, it was necessary to give you and I life, to give you and I an opportunity to accept the sacrifice that God gave to us. And we might look at the blood and we might go, that's gross, it's horrible, it's stinky, it makes me nauseous when I think of blood. God is such a bloody God. Yes, He is. He is. But it was His own blood that He shed in order to give you and I an opportunity to, to come to terms with that and recognize that without the blood of Jesus Christ, we're lost. My friend, if you're here today and you have not been washed under the blood of Jesus Christ, you've not been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. If His blood is not coming into you and nourishing you and growing you and removing the waste and renewing and refreshing you and restoring you and giving you life, 
then you are lost. You're lost. There is no hope for you. There is no other way into heaven. For the blood of Jesus Christ was pure and it was holy and it was necessary. And you might disagree. You might, you might scoff at that and go, well, you know what? If I were God, I wouldn't have it be blood. I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, that's like a tennis player playing tennis in a, in a tennis tournament. I don't want to minimize or, or make light of what life is as the game of life. But if you're playing tennis, you watch a, a, a pro tennis, you know, a tournament. When was the last time you ever saw a, a, a tennis player, you know, the ball is completely out. You go, no, I, you know, hey, I hit that ball and I know... According to your rules, it was five feet out. But you know what? I don't want to play by those rules anymore. I call that in, and so that's a point for me. Well, what's the, what's the, the official going to say? You know, not point for you, point for him. No, 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 no. I don't, want to play by, I don't want to play by those rules anymore. I want to come up with my own set. Well, then this isn't the game that you're going to be in. You're, you're no longer a pro tennis player under these circumstances because you're trying to play by your own rules. There are no own, your own rules when it comes to this. We don't find it hard to accept the rules of a tennis tournament and yet many have such a struggle coming to grips with the rules that God had laid down saying, you know what, here's the thing, it's going to be hard for mankind to enter into heaven. In fact, it will be impossible because when they sinned, they willfully, Adam willfully poisoned himself. I told him not to eat of that tree. That tree was going to cause death in his life and it was going to pass not just from himself, but it was going to pass on to all of his kids. Every, every person that came through his seed, which by the way, every one of us could, if we could, we could all trace our roots back to mom and dad, Adam and Eve. And so you and I are infected with this poisoning. The only way, the only way to be saved, the only way to have our blood purified, to have ourselves purified before a holy God is to go, is, is to live according to his rules. And the Bible, just we just read it, without the shedding of blood, there can be what? No forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, I've looked that up in the Greek before, the word all. You know what it means? <laughs> That's right, it means all. That means you. That means me. I don't mean to be in your face. That's not my intention here. My intention is to hopefully open your eyes, open my eyes, open our eyes to this point that says, listen, I can't get to heaven with my blood. This blood is not going to get me to heaven for it is tainted. I am sick. And if I try to, from this point forward, live perfectly, my blood is still tainted. I don't care how well you live, your blood is still tainted. And you can thank your great, 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 great grandfather for it. But this is what you have. You have an illness. And the only remedy, the only cure, 
And God saw it. It's the reason why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried to his father. He says, Father, if there be any other way for this cup to pass from me. Jesus is saying, I don't want to go to the cross. Why would I want to endure such a beating and such brutality if there is another way for man to be saved? And if there was another way for Don Haskins to enter into heaven? Man, you've got you to personalize the Scripture. It's not just, hey, for God so loved the world. No, God so loved me. God so loved you. I am firmly convinced in my heart, brothers and sisters, listen, that when Jesus was on the cross, I believe he was thinking of me. I think he was thinking of you personally. Oh, wait a minute. That's 2,000 years ago. How would he have possibly been able to think about me personally? I wasn't even alive then. How could he even possibly think about me? Listen, if I can get past the first couple verses or first couple words of the Bible, I can, I can get past that real easy. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. If I can get past that, I can understand that God hanging on a cross has a capacity to think about every single individual that he loves. Every single individual that he died on a cross for, he was thinking of you personally. And so when Jesus was crying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there be any other way for Don to be saved, let it happen. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And when he was crying out on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. When he cried out to his father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. When he shed his blood for you, when he shed his blood for me, he gave you and I something that we never could gain on our own. He gave us life. Because the blood that he shared, that he shed, wasn't a tainted blood of an animal. It wasn't a tainted blood of an individual, another human being. It was the pure blood of God that was shed upon the cross. And that's the only, the only pure and powerful blood to save you and me from my sin, from our sin. It's the only way to heaven. If you've never been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're lost. If you want to make up your own rules and go, I just don't want to deal with blood. I think blood is an ugly thing. I just don't like the whole topic. I'm sorry. This is the rule book that God laid out that he placed himself under. Think about it. He was brutalized in your place. Your blood was not good enough to be shed for your sin. His was the only blood that was good enough to pay for your sin. And when his blood was shed, he made a way for you to enter and to have your sins forgiven. Nicodemus, oh Lord, I don't understand everything that's going on. I don't understand. I don't understand this whole thing. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nick, listen, unless you're born again, you aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nick says, I, I don't understand. How can a grown man enter back into his mother's womb in order to be birthed out again? And Jesus goes, come on, Nick. 
you're the teacher in Jerusalem and you don't know these things. Listen, what I'm talking about, it's a birth. It's a spiritual birth. Have you been born again? I love the, the symbolism of it, of it all. In order for you to be born again, that placenta needs to be nourished by the Lord. You and I must be cleansed and nourished by the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope that this has made a little bit more sense. I, there was an old poem. It was a, uh, a fellow from back in the 1600s who his name was Christopher Marlowe. He wrote a poem called The, the Tragical History of Dr. Faustus. And it was a, a story of, of how uh, Faustus, Dr. Faustus has basically sold his soul to the devil. But in the very end, he understood what life was all about. And when Lucifer came to, to claim the prize of Dr. Faustus's soul, he said, Faustus said to Lucifer in this poem, he says, see, see where Christ's blood streams in the firmament. One drop would save my soul. Half a drop, half a drop on my Christ. I want you to understand the blood of Jesus Christ, a half a drop that shed on the cross was enough to pay your penalty. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because here's the thing, if you don't believe it, you will be standing there before a holy God one day and you will give an answer for your life. And there will be no answer that will be good enough to allow you into God's kingdom. But if you claim the blood of Jesus Christ, I stand here not because of me and not because of anything that I am or have done, Lord, but I stand here solely upon the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, the pure and powerful and incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. I have been washed in that blood. Though your sins be as scarlet as blood, they shall be as white as snow. Are your sins as white as snow? Is your life as white as snow? If not, right now, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to be washed in the blood. Again, it's a picture of something that Christ has already done for you. The, the ball's in your court now. You now know about the blood. You now know what the blood is all about. And the question is, are you willing to take the responsibility that is now upon your, is in your court, and will you receive it? If you want to receive it, God's going to give you the ability to receive it. From this point, right now, you'll have an opportunity to have your sin forgiven, to have a heavenly blood transfusion at this very moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today, and I pray, Lord, that Lord, that this message made some sense. God, I pray that it made sense to all of us in this room. I pray that we understand that without you shedding your blood, Jesus, on a cross, your holy, incorruptible blood on a cross, we would be lost still. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room right now that doesn't have a relationship with you, that right now that they recognize that. I mean, for goodness sakes, Lord, if, if any of us walked out of this room today and we did not know you and, and, and we died, 
for whatever reason. Maybe he got hit. Maybe just had a heart attack. Maybe whatever circumstances caused the death of anyone in this room. As we read your word here in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Every one of us are going to die at one time. And then we're going to stand before you. What will be the answer? If there's anyone in this room that is struggling with that answer, but today has made sense to you. And you have never truly been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you want to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You simply just, right now, I know I'm asking you to do something very bold. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. That's not even all that bold. The point is, I want to pray with you. For anyone that is not saved, you don't know in your heart of hearts whether or not you would be saved. Today, the blood of Jesus Christ shedding for being shed on a cross for you has finally made sense. Anyone in this room want to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ for the very first time? Just simply raise up your hand. I'll pray with you. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to walk out of these doors today not knowing for sure that you're going to be going to heaven. That you can rejoice that Jesus has washed you clean. I'm going to give just one more few moments. Anyone? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. And Lord, I pray that even as I've already shared, I pray that this message has not caused confusion, but has caused an understanding of why the blood, why the virgin birth, why the purity had to be in order to be shed on a cross for me. Why the, the, the lineage and the, and the, of, of poisoning that is passed on from Adam all the way down to, to us. I pray, Lord, that we have much, a much more firm grip on salvation, on the sacrifice. It's not, a, it's not a common thing, and it's not an easy thing. God, it costs you everything that you have. Your son, hanging on a tree for me. I thank you, God. I thank you for your blood. I am sorry that you had to go through what you went through, but I am grateful. I am grateful, God, for your blood. I am grateful for your love that would cause the purpose in your heart to die in my place. I thank you, God, for your blood. I will never look upon the blood the same way ever again. Your blood is pure, and I thank you, God, for it. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of that. Thank you for teaching us about that today. In Jesus' name, amen.